turn to someone that you don't like and tell them they look marvelous this morning. <laughs> ah. mm. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, firstly, uh, let me thank Pastor Bruce for looking after me this morning and the rest of the team. And uh, thank you to your senior pastor, Colin and Amanda Dye, uh, for allowing us to come back again. Um, I have a, a team I want to introduce you to this morning. And uh, they're going to have to walk the long way around because of the steps uh, from Victor Outreach UK. Most of you are or some of you support the work that we do. We work with people in recovery, people who have been battling with drug addiction, uh, lives that have been ruined by the enemy. We have a real, real enemy, but we also have a far more powerful savior. And uh, we believe he can redeem anything. And so we have some of the, the men and women in our homes uh, with us this morning. They got up at four o'clock this morning to get you for the first service. First services should be banned. I mean, nine o'clock. Dear Lord, Pastor Bruce, what is with having a nine o'clock service? I mean, you want to come to Wales, we don't start till 11 o'clock. I mean, like you lot, you lot obviously had a lie-in this morning. It's Sunday after all. But I want uh, the men and women and uh, some of the team as well from Victor Outreach to come up and join us on the platform. Will you welcome them as they come? They're going to have to walk around. Okay, well, th these are just some of uh, the men and women that we have in our homes, and uh, there are some of them are still at home, we couldn't get them all, we have to get a bus, and uh, so if anybody wants to buy us a bus, come and speak to uh, Lisa, where's Lisa, Wesley, speak to Lisa, um, uh, it only cost half a million, so just go and see Lisa. <laughs> But uh, we've managed to come up in a few vehicles and uh, the men and women's homes that we have. As you know, we take people literally from like pushing needles in their arm, smoking heroin. I mean, you, they, that's what they're doing before they come to us. And then we share the love of God with them in the homes. We, we share G how Jesus can change them. And standing before you this morning are trophies of God's grace. That's what these are. Amen. And, uh, so... Can I get another microphone? Have, I, have we got another microphone there, please, Pastor? There's no other one there, is there? 
I want to use this rather than the time like this morning if I can. Uh, Kelly, just tell us your story briefly. Now, we're not going to get through all these testimonies, as you can imagine, uh, but, and then introduce some of the girls and their stories as well. Thank you. Um, my name's Kelly. I was a heroin addict and a prostitute for five, five years of my life, from the age of 17 to 22. Um, I, I was brought up around it. My mum was a heroin addict as well. And as you can tell, I didn't really have a proper role model. I wasn't guided in the right way. So my life went just out of control. Um, I was in and out of prison. And, you know, I couldn't get off of this vicious circle. You know, I was in and out of prison, getting clean, getting... And then it was just constant. It was like a merry-go-round. But then in 2007, God had a different plan for my life. Um, I applied to come to Victory Outreach and you know that was the best decision I ever made because the minute I entered into that home I just felt like it was home felt like it was a it was a family environment and I just felt loved and you know um, God's just done a miracle in my life and now seven years on I've completed the program um, after two years and I trained up to become staff and now I'm the manager of the women's home. <laughs> but you know, in the short space of time that I've got, I can't tell you my story. You know, God has just transformed me. And, you know, daily I get the opportunity to work alongside these girls. And each one of them are treasures out of darkness. And I just thank God for each one of them. Okay. Now, this is Shelley. Shelley is from my hometown. She, well, where I was born, she's from Swansea. This is a, the best accent you will ever hear in the country. <laughs> Shelley, just come and share your story, sweetheart. Just... For a few minutes. Well, I'm Shirley and I'm from Swansea. Growing up for me was really difficult. Um, I was abused from the age of 6 to 21. Um, so that led me to start taking drugs from like a really young age. My mum passed away before my 21st birthday. I had no hope. Everything was just full of darkness. Everywhere I was, it was just darkness. So I went to my church in Swansea and they was on about a rehab, victory outreach. And I tell you what, it's the best thing I've ever done. I've got a future. There's light in my eyes. My family have been restored, and I just thank God for everything he's done. Amen. And stay here. And the wonderful, wonderful thing about Shelley, she's got a tattoo of Swansea City on her arm. Look at that. They're in the premiership now. They weren't when she had that done. Anyway, OK. <laughs> Uh, Kylie, just share your, come and share your story as well. We've got time, a little bit more time in this second. Hiya, um, my name's Kylie. Growing up for me was difficult. My parents are both alcoholics and they got divorced when I was three. Am I talking too fast? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they got divorced when I was three. Um, the family split. Um, me and my little brother ended up in care, but we ended up back with my mum. She had a string of relationships which resulted in me being abused. Um, through my teenage years, I always said that I'd never touch a drink, but at 13, I started drinking and self-harming to block everything out. 
Um, I ended up in and out of hostels and stuff, and at 19 I fell pregnant, and I lost my baby at 18 weeks, and that was the hardest thing I ever had to go through, and to do it without family nearly killed me. From then on, I just wanted my life to be over, really. Um, so I was drinking and self-harming and hoping that it'd kill me eventually. Um, I came to VO, and I've been here two and a half years now, and it's been the best thing I've ever done. God has completely changed me. Um, I now have confidence. I came here last year, and I didn't have confidence to stand here and speak. Um, but God's given me confidence, and I now help Kelly. I work alongside Kelly in the home, and I just help her. And I'm on the last stages of a senior, and like, I just want God to use me for his work, really. I have the privilege of helping Lisa one day a week. And, yeah, I love my life. Thank you, Kelly. That's great. Thank you very much. Yes, show your appreciation. That's great. You know... I have to be honest, whenever I travel with the team, I, I feel like the Christian version of Jeremy Kyle. Because, <laughs> you know, the stories are amazing, but the difference is between us and Jeremy Kyle is we've got an answer, amen. <laughs> we've got a real answer. And uh, well, I know some of the girls won't speak, they're a little bit shy, but um, Kelly, you, you come and uh, Gemma's hiding there, I know. <laughs> And some of the other girls as well, just share their stories briefly, because you, you two are the newest girls in. How, how long have you been with us? A week and two days. A week and two days. Oh. That's not long, is it? <laughs> so, before you came to us, what were you actually doing? I was up in court for breaching my probation order. Breach of your probation order, so you were very naughty then, weren't you? Uh, <laughs> what, were you using drugs or anything like that? Um, I did about five years ago, and then I stopped using, but then recently I started using again. And then going back to court, and then me breaching my bail, and breaching my probation, and my probation officer um, phoned out to check a breach. I'm nervous. <laughs> Look at me, forget all that. <laughs> and here I am. A few days later, and still carrying on with it. And how, how are you finding all the church stuff? And look, you're a week, week and two days into the program, and you're in Kensington Temple. I know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Happy and proud of myself. Proud of yourself. We're proud of you too. Uh, I know you don't want to speak, so don't, don't, don't look at all them people over there. They're, they're just Christians. Ignore them for a minute. <laughs> How long have you been with us? Five weeks. Five weeks. So you, wait, tell us where you came from and what you were doing before. Don't clap. You take up time. So if you can do it when we finish, we'd appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm from Dundee, Scotland, um, and I was on heroin. Um, so I was like six stone, six and a half stone when I came in. Um, I came in, and yeah, so I'm just learning about God and everything about that. And so, yeah. So you're just learning about God. You know what I love? It's just real stories. You know, when people come to us, they know nothing about Jesus or Christianity. 
and they just come in and then they get to learn about God's love and then they experience God's love and it changes their lives, amen? Isn't that great? Yes, you did well. Isa? Hi, my name's Alyssa and I've come from a 15 years of heroin addiction and I failed God. I got saved five years ago many times, but God's never failed me at all. And every time I fall down, his hands there, he picks me back up and says, Alyssa, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. And I plan to walk in that. I came to Victory four months ago, and it is a beautiful environment. It's full of love and um, the teaching that I'm getting, it's just changing me. It's making me to be that godly woman that God wanted me to be. And I don't need to stand here with that condemnation of Christ, telling them labels that are, of, sorry, of the devil, um, then labels that have been put on my life. I know that I'm a child of God and I am not the things what people say. I am forgiven. That's great. I'm not going to speak to Gemma. You don't want to say anything to you, so I'm not going to speak to you. You're too shy. But Gemma, come here. Gemma, um, the same as the girls, she an incredible story of God's, God's grace in her life as well and battling with addictions. Addictions are very real. And let me tell you something. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you don't have addiction problems. But, but God has the power to turn things around. Amen. And uh, Gemma's life has been transformed as well by Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I show your appreciation. That's great. And um, we got... We've got all the, we've got all the, the guys here, um, and all of them are single. <laughs> but none of them are available. <laughs> and uh, of course, except for the right fee. And you have to come and see me about that. No, seriously. Um, I'm just going to, because there's so many of the guys here. No, I'll pick. You stay there. <laughs> see. I know, I always say to you, look, you tell me what you're thinking, I'll tell you what you're doing. Right, okay, so what we'll do is, uh, yeah, come, I can't remember all their names anymore, but come here. All right, um, my name's Sam. I'm from Pontypris, the place in um, near Cardiff. And basically, I started using drugs quite young. At about 13, started smoking cannabis. By 15, I was on a class A, taking the ecstasy now with the boys sniffing cocaine. By 17, I started smoking heroin, in and out of jail. Come out of jail, started injecting drugs. Started just going around robbing, selling drugs for money, just ripping off people. Ended up in and out of jail, in and out of hospital, just no hope. And then um, 10 months ago, I come to Victory Outreach. Put on five stones since I've been here, you know what I mean? in the gym, and um, yeah, yeah, and just um, since I got saved, life's just been awesome, like, he's restored, God has restored everything with my family, do you know what I mean, I'm a father to my daughter again, my mother's got her son back, and um, I just can't wait to see what God's got planned for me, and um, I just want to get out there and, well, reach a lost, like, do you know what I mean, and just tell him that there is an hope. Rather than jail and drugs, do you know what I mean? If you come to a relationship with Christ, your life will be better, like, do you know what I mean? And just... <laughs> Fantastic, that's great. Cheers, mate. Now, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to get that. Andy, who's one of our voluntary workers, he, he, he's a member of our church, but he also uh, works at uh, the Bush Hotel. I'm going to ask him to come and share his perspective of working with the guys. Thank you, Andy. Hi everyone, um, I'm a, coming from a totally different perspective to the rest of the guys. 
Uh, I'm a father of an ex-addict. Um, my son was involved with cocaine and MCAT, meow, and it, it as good as broke my family. Um, my wife was close to a nervous breakdown, but she came to church. She talked me into coming to church, which I never, well, who would have thought a year ago I would never ever have been stood here. I would have probably been in a pub somewhere or something. But the Lord saved my family within six weeks, all four of us, including my son who was an addict. And I just feel that I'm almost 50 now, and I just feel that after 49 years, I really got to get on my get, get going and to put stuff back. And that's why I volunteered to help these guys. I love every one of them with all my heart, and they're all my sons and daughters. Okay. So we have, um, we, we've, not, we've not got time to go through all of their testimonies, but I, I can assure you that I know that many of them will be eager to share and they'll all go away afterwards and, and probably go mad at me behind my back saying, why didn't he let me share? But listen, God has changed their lives and standing before you are real, real miracles. We have a saying in Victor Outreach, we don't believe in miracles, we live with miracles <laughs> every day. And um, we just want to uh, thank God for your support. Kensington Temple, you have supported Victor Outreach for a f quite a few years, a number of years since I came to know your senior minister as a personal friend, and Bruce and the rest of the team here. And I want to publicly say a huge thank you to you, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, for supporting this work because, yes, I'm the director. Yes, I'm, I suppose I'm the ambassador for this ministry, but this is, this is a ministry that is is changing lives one soul at a time and it's making a difference and it's because of people like you supporting this work we're able to do what we do we need to expand we want to open more homes the prisons are full the streets are full of drug addicts we need your support we need your help so anything you can do by praying for us, by interceding for us. If you want to know more, sign up to our newsletter, go visit the stand. The girls have made some crafts. In fact, Gemma uh, started doing some paintings. You can buy those. Where I bought one. She painted a face of Christ, and it hangs up in my lounge now. Uh, I, I bought it. I had a, obviously I had a discount. But, um, <laughs> but just the crafts that they do. We're only doing it to raise money for this ministry. We're not a government-funded organization. We're completely based on the charitable donations of the public. Uh, I raise a lot of the money for the, for the work by traveling around the country and preaching and everything else, and that's what I do. And the money goes into this wonderful ministry and organization. And I thank God for it every day because we are seeing God change lives. Amen. So thank you all for your support. Don't forget to visit there and show you a big God bless you to the team. Thank you, guys and girls. Have you just done a selfie? Let's, let's have a look. Do you know what he's just done? He's just done a selfie. How have you done that? I want to do a selfie at KT. Can you, can you get it up on there for me so I can put it on my Twitter? Okay. Now, this is a, this is a selfie. Hang on. Now, by the way, I got like 26,000 people following me on Twitter, right? So this is going to go out on Twitter as a selfie. What? It's taking it too quick, Joe. Don't do it like that. That's stupid. 
Let me take it. Smile. Oh, that one. Is it done? You sure? No, that's stupid. Don't put that on Twitter. Thank you. Okay, open up your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel in the 8th chapter. And um, I'm changing the message from the first service. If you want to, you can get the first service by going online or listening to the, uh, subscribe to the podcast there. But you probably need to get the first service because I was trying to unpack um, some thoughts I had on Dr. Artie Kendall's message on the midnight cry. And looking at the weight of scripture when it comes to the end times, the Bible says there'll be a great apostasy. But as you know, the midnight cry is this cry that will happen. There'll be a great awakening of the church and a great revival, a great move of God's spirit in the nation and the nations of the world. And I had some thoughts on that. And you can get that by listening to the first service this morning. But I want to do something different in this service. Uh, I want to share my heart with you. Is that okay? It can be dangerous when a preacher says that. You know, I don't know. Because we could be here all day. Because preachers need more counseling than anybody else, I reckon. I know you don't agree with that, but uh, those of us who are in the know, we know. But no, seriously, it's... um, I've been a Christian since I was 18. I'm 39 now. I look 24. (laughs) Thanks. Greatest moment of my life will always be the day I give my life to Jesus. I'll never forget. Not only did Jesus change me, but he loved me for who I was. As I went on in church, you know, what happened to me was, like a lot of people when I first became a Christian, because of my testimony, I was thrown up on platforms to give my testimony. Because it was an amazing story. So let's get Richie, throw him up on the platform you know, and, and let him just do his thing and then we'll get people saved. And it's great to hear his story. He was a heroin addict. He was doing this. He was doing that. And then he'll preach the gospel. And So from a very early start, I was thrown into ministry. Pretty young. I went to Bible school. I met my wife while I was at Bible school. I thought it was a good thing to meet a wife while you're at Bible school who can do your cooking and your cleaning for you at the same time. <laughs> while I was a student... She's probably watching this online, actually. I've got to be careful. And I went to Bible school. I went to an interdenominational Bible school. I went to Birmingham Bible Institute. And I'll never forget, I thought everybody was Pentecostal, you see. I didn't realize there were people that didn't speak in tongues. And I didn't know. And there's a guy in my room who came from Spurgeon's College. And he was in my room. And I, I remember going to bed at night, as I was, as I was accustomed to as a as a disciplined Pentecostal I got on my knees and I began to started to speak in tongues and I turned around and he'd gone because <laughs> I, I, I didn't know I thought everybody spoke in tongues and uh, had an incredible experience at Bible college I left there and pastored a small church an assemblies of God church in a town called Tipton which is in the black country near Birmingham. Now, there's a funny accent there, you know. My wife is from Birmingham. She speaks like, Oh, right, I'm right, I'm great. Are you all right? Oh, I'm all right. Oh, all right, oh, kid. Oh, I'm all right. It's really weird. And I'm obviously very Welsh. Very, very Welsh. So my sons are bilingual. 
Joshua speaks, my eldest, who's 15 this year, will speak a little bit of Brummy and a little bit of Welsh. All right, boy, yo. So, two going on. So I was thrust into ministry at a very young age. I wasn't planning on sharing this, Bruce. I'm going to do it. I don't think I've ever shared this, actually. Um, and it, it seemed to me that everywhere I went and everything I did, God would bless, not because of me, but despite me. As things just happened, everywhere things grew everywhere I went, and, and all this was, was wonderful. And, and God was very kind to me, and as his favor was on my life, and all these things happened. And, but you see, what I failed to realize was this. The weight of people's expectations upon me became so big that I forgot to deal with who I was. The weight of other people's expectations upon me got to the point where it was almost as if I had to get up to do my thing and I had to do my thing in front of everybody and, you know, and not worry about my character, not worry about who I am before God. And sooner or later, I began to lose my way. I thought the ministry was all about me. You know the song, it's all about me. <laughs> and I began to think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the anointed man of God and, you know, look at me and this, that, and the other. I'm special and all that stuff. And, but in truth, I'm just an ex-drug addict. I'm just an ex-heroin addict. That's what I am. Forgiven by Jesus, washed in his precious blood and made clean. But you see, everybody wanted a piece of me and applauded me to say how marvelous I was and how wonderful I am and how amazing you were and all these things would happen in my life and I was thrust into ministry very quickly. By the age of um, 21, I was pastoring a large church. I was the associate pastor for 10 years. I served the senior pastor there for 10 years in my ministry. Saw the church grow from 600 to over 2,000. And then in the midst of all of that, I, I'd been traveling to the United States. I'd been preaching over there and seen God do many wonderful things, made lots of new friends in some of the Word of Faith movement and, and the, the, the other churches that I associated out there and mega churches in America and had an opportunity to go and pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma in a place called Broken Arrow, which is where Kenneth Hagin uh, Jr. pastors Rhema Church and there's a church just down the road that was called Destiny Church and I was, I was making plans to, to go and pastor in, in America. I'm a young man. I'm in ministry. I'm seeing God do wonderful things. I have an opportunity to go and pastor a mega church in the United States with a Christian school for my children, Christian college, Christian university, all Roberts University was a 25-minute drive. All these things in front of me thinking, this is it. I'm a young man. God is using me. This is wonderful. What an opportunity. All that expectation. And then... And then suddenly one afternoon as I'm going for a walk, the Lord speaks to me. He speaks to me when I go for a walk a lot, either in the car or when I'm walking. That's when the Lord speaks to me. Of course, I don't close my eyes when I'm praying in the car. That would be stupid. The Lord spoke to me and said, I don't want you to go to America. I said, but Lord, don't you realize I'll have my own TV show in America? I'll be on every Christian network, you know? Hi, I'm so glad you've tuned into the broadcast today. God bless you. I said, I, I can do it, Jesus. You know, I really can. <laughs> and the Lord said, I, I don't want you to, to go there. He says, I, I want you to go back to Wales. And I want you to work with drug addicts and people on the streets and people in prison. And that's what I want you to do. And so I decided that if the Lord says, 
to do that. You just do what God says. So I went back to Wales five years ago. Five years ago, I, I came out of full-time ministry in the sense of pastoring. I was, up until then, I'd been in ministry for about 16 years. And I thought, it was nice actually to get out of pastoring. I'd done it for so long, it was nice to get out of it. And I thought, I'll just look after the, the homes, the guys and the girls, and that'll be you know, great. See Jesus change them. Grassroots ministries, love it. Let's do this. And in the midst of that, God speaks to me to plant the church, which we did. And now we've got eight churches. We're planting three more this year by God's grace. And we've become a church planting organization, part of the Elim Pentecostal Church. So just give you the abridged version of it there. But here's what I want to say to you is this. When God gives us favor and God gives us the ability to have influence, he does it not for ourselves. He does it for the benefit of other people. My life is consumed with, with God's favor and grace. I know that. But the only reason why God's favor is on my life is so that I can be a blessing to the men and women who are at Victor Outreach. Because I hope that one day they will excel where I am. They'll do far more than I've ever done. That God would raise them up like he raised up this ex-heroin addict to preach the gospel. That he would do the same in their lives if not even more. That's my passion. That's my heart. Why am I sharing this with you this morning? Well, I'm not just waffling to take up time. There's a reason for this. Life as a, as a pastor, as a leader has been very, very tough. Very hard. I've had people who want to kill me. And I'm, not, I'm talking about you in the UK. I've had people who have said the worst kind of lies that you can imagine. I've had people make up stories about me that when I read them, even I'm amazed. I've had people say nasty things about my family. My brothers who are not walking with God, who are addicts. My mother, who was an ex-addict herself. I've had people say nasty things about my family. I've had people criticize things that I've said, things that I do, and we should be open for criticism in public ministry, of course, all those things. I've had enough to be able to say, you know what? Shove the ministry. You can keep it, because I don't need it. Because the thing is, I don't get paid by the ministry anyway. My money comes from TV, and how of you know, it's, it's all good. <laughs> so I don't, I don't need ministry to do what I do. I do it for free. I do this for free. This is just me. I just do it because I enjoy it, and I'm serving Jesus. So with all the stuff that I've been through in the last few years of my life, I think this is the first time I'm going to say, I'm going to confess something to you. I don't know if this will ruin my, I'm speaking at the Elian Bible Week. What I'm about to say now might change that, but. Here we go anyway. A couple of months ago, I was, I was with a friend and we were talking and he's a Christian leader of an incredible organization and he said to me, Rich, I'm seeing a therapist. I said, you what? You're seeing a therapist? I said, all you need is the anointing and the Holy Ghost, man. What's the matter with you? And he went, oh, I got the anointing and the Holy Ghost and a therapist. <laughs> I said, what do you want a therapist for? See, because my assumption is that leaders are all okay, that they're fine, that they're walking on water, that they're super anointed and they carry special powers more than the rest of us. But actually, they're not. That's why leaders fall morally, sexually, financially, scandals. Why is that? Because they're normal people that make mistakes. 
And when you start putting leaders up on a pedestal to the point that you expect them to be perfect and there's nothing wrong with them, listen, you need to pray for your pastors. You need to pray for your leaders. You need to ask God to protect them. You need to ask God to bless them. You really, really do. And I don't covet the prayers of anybody. I'm just letting you know for the, the senior leaders here, when you are leading a church of God's people, a congregation, a ministry that is reaching London and the world, and the world for Christ, you need to know there is a weight of expectation upon them. And all the time, the enemy's having a go. The enemy's running them down. He's criticizing them. He's trying to put the knife into them. He's trying to pull them down so they no longer stand in this pulpit with confidence to preach the word of God. That's what the enemy is doing. But we know what the scriptures say, that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. And when he told me he had a therapist, I, I listened. I said, well, why have you got a therapist? He says, well, because I carry so much weight and I, I, I've tried the old, you know, take it to Jesus. I've done that, but I need to speak to somebody. I just need somebody in the flesh to speak to. Have you know what I'm talking about? When you're going through some stuff and the preacher says, well, just pray about it. Yeah, but I need to speak to somebody. I need someone to hold me. I need someone just to put their arm on my shoulder. I just need somebody right now. And sometimes as Christians, we, we, we are like almost the only, the only Christ people that, God will, that, that people will ever see. Like we're, we're, we're Jesus with skin on. And when we hold somebody, they, they, they feel the closeness of God because of our love. And I spoke with this gentleman, and he's a wonderful Christian leader. And at the start, I was shocked. Why would you need, why would you need a therapist? And then I said something that came out of my mouth that might finish my ministry forever, but I'm going to admit it for the first time here. Don't worry, it's not a confession of sin or anything like that. You know, I'm in a dramatic moment, but it was this. I said to him, do you think I can see your therapist? And then when I said it, I thought, I don't need a therapist. Why do I want to see a therapist? And I thought, well, I'll give it a go anyway. So I'll go and see a therapist. Now, I need to tell you, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> right? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's Holy Ghost. Anyway, I'm all right. And you know what amazed me? I sat down in that room, and I began to counsel her. And then she stopped, and she's an older lady, and, and she said to me, she said, Richard, you've got this the wrong way around, my love. I said, what do you mean? She says, you're supposed to come and, you're supposed to come and get help from me, not me getting help from you. See, because all of my life, all I've done is help other people, and I've never taken any time to help myself. And I've been so busy in the ministry from 18, I'm now 39, I've been flat out in the ministry ever 16 years full-time pastoring. I haven't had a chance to press the pause button. And this is what God showed me. Everybody in here this morning, everybody, whether you've got a, a busy job schedule, whatever, you are traveling in life at an incredible pace. Things are coming at you all the time. From all sides. Some people deal, deal with it by taking drugs, by drinking alcohol, by getting smashed off their face because they can't face the reality of the next day. And we don't know where to turn. Maybe prescription drugs. Maybe, maybe I need another relationship. What if I find the right guy? 
What if I find the right woman? What if I just get in the right city? What if I find the right church? And we go through all these things and we're traveling at 110 miles an hour. We can even be leaders in the church and in ministry and our lives are consumed with doing Jesus things. To such an extent we think, well, if I have an holiday, if I have a break, then I'll be all right. No. Holiday, break, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about your life is traveling at such a pace that if you don't hit pause, you're going to have a breakdown. And ministers fall, but they don't fall at the point of committing the sin. They've fallen years before that because they've not pressed pause and taken time out to examine themselves and their lives and everything else that they're doing. Now, let me give you an upshot. Again, this is breaking news. Never share this anywhere else. In 2015, only my board know this. In 2015, and you might think this is defeatist. You might think, why is a preacher doing this? Why is he doing that? 2015, I have said to my board that I am not doing any ministry for a whole 12 months because I'm spending it with my wife and with my children. Now, and you, I'm not saying every minister has to do that. I'm talking about me because I have been flat out emotionally, spiritually, giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and serving and serving and serving. But I've got to the point where if I don't press pause, I'm going to have a breakdown. And there's one thing you don't want to see is a Welshman on a breakdown. <laughs> and it got me thinking about all of us really, where we are as human beings, as individuals. Don't get me wrong, I live on the anointing, but I live in a body of flesh and all. And I thought to myself, I wonder, Lord, if I'm going through this, and, and you've anointed me as your servant, if I'm going through this, do your people go through the same thing? And he said, oh yes, they do. And this is why I've got a word for you this morning. We're going to come to it now. But I want us to consider this this morning. Maybe God is telling you it's time to press the pause button. You know the expectations of everybody? When my diary goes silent in 2015, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Is he backslidden? Has he run off with another woman? Has he robbed the church? Is he in scandal because, or because I'm spending time with my, do you know why? Because of people's expectations. But here's what I've discovered. If we're living for the expectations of other people instead of the audience of one, then we, listen to me, we, we, we're going to end up in a mess. And how many of you, without admitting it this morning, you do live your life looking Pleasing other people around you, peers, family, workers, colleagues in the ministry. There's an expectancy that you always have to show up and do your thing. That you have to be on form all the time. That you have to be the one that when you're up there, man, you've got to, you've got to let it shine. You've got, to, you've, got to, you know, you've got to let your song on because that's, that's you. But really, it's not you. See, when Pastor Bruce gets up to minister... He's Bruce when he sat down there, but when the anointing of God that's in him and on him comes, he's not the same Bruce. Neither does Pastor Colin die or any of the ministers here because the anointing takes you into realms and into areas that, humanly speaking, that you would never be. You would never be able to communicate the way you do and do the things that you do. The supernatural takes you out of the natural into the super. 
But you see, us who move in the supernatural have to come back to the natural. And when we come back to the natural, let me tell you, when you come back to the natural after speaking like this, you are exhausted, you are drained, you've had everything sucked out of you, the devil is having a go in your ear, you should have said this, you didn't say that, and you're thinking, did I preach well enough? Was it good enough? Was it too long? Was it too short? Did they enjoy it? Were they ministered to? Were they blessed? You go through all of that, that's before lunch. (laughs) Which I'm hoping is Nando's today. Anyway, so... That's all I get paid you as an Nando's. Isn't that right, Bruce? I said I get paid in Nando's. It's my ministry honorarium. Nando's. Medium spice. Thank you. <laughs> and it got me thinking this morning about hitting pause. And then my mind went to the story of Mary and Martha. When Jesus was in their midst, she was running around trying to sort all the stuff out. And just sat at his feet. So, oh, what were you doing? And I, I tell you this, this is a word for people here today. It might not be for everybody. I, I've just come to, to share with a few of you. You need to hit the pause button, love. So you need to hit the pause button or you're going to blow up in your marriage, in your career, in your business, in your finances, with your children. Your house is turned into hell. Screaming, shouting, fighting, arguments, frustration. Worry, concern, all those things have drowned out the voice of God in your life and you can no longer hear Jesus. You need to hit the pause button. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to hit the pause button. Matthew chapter 8 tells the story of a man who hit the pause button. He's known as a leper in the Bible. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he had come down from the mountain, that's Jesus, great multitudes followed him, and behold, the leper came out, worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Other versions say he came and knelt, he kneeled. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Notice the attitude of this leper. He came and he, what did he do? He worshipped Jesus. Now go over to Matthew chapter 15. Keep that thought in your mind. His approach to Jesus, he came in worship. Matthew chapter 15. We read here about a Canaanite woman who also came to Jesus. We can read, uh, probably reading from... Let's have a look. I want to pick this reading up. Verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, Not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. Then she came, listen to this, then she came and what? Worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not good to take the children's bread through the little dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, not even the little dogs eat crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then she answered and said to the woman, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Now I want you to see something here. This is very important. These two people, the leper 
and the Canaanite woman. What was the same about them? Well, both of them needed a miracle. Both of them needed Jesus to intervene into their situations. Both of them had to pause, take time out of their routine, break the routine to get to Jesus. But I also want you to notice the way they approached Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, the eighth chapter, it says that the leper came worshiping Jesus and he was healed, how quick? Immediately. But the Canaanite woman had the same needs. She's a believer. She believes in, in Jesus, who he was. She comes to him and says, Lord, have mercy, son of David, on my daughter who's demon-possessed. That was the problem. And she asks Jesus, and this is what it says. Jesus says not a word. He doesn't even reply to her. He doesn't even acknowledge her. How rude does that sound? So why would two people, both with needs, needing Jesus to do a miracle, one was responded to, a miracle happens immediately, and a second one, Jesus doesn't even reply. The disciples are there thinking, Jesus, can't you hear this woman? She's crying out to you. Can you do something? What's going on? Send her away. Do something. The disciples were very good at sending people away. Do you notice that? I'm sure they had a ministry called Shove Off Ministries. Leave the master alone. <laughs> what was wrong with them? Anyway, <clears throat> the, two, the two things I want you to do, this is very important. You see, they both came to Jesus with needs. One needed a miracle of healing, one needed a miracle of deliverance. But they both had needs. But I believe the key thing is this, is the way that they approach Jesus is different. One approached Jesus out of need. The other approached Jesus to worship. And how we approach Jesus in our lives, how we, when we need a miracle, and we sing songs all the time about, Lord, I need this, and Lord, I need that. But true worship is when we don't talk about our needs. We just worship his magnificence. We praise how glorious and how majestic he is. And in the midst of our praise and our worship and our adoration of Jesus, there is a key that unlocks heaven's power for it to flow in the midst of our worship. And as we worship, God can heal the sick. As we worship, God can deliver you from wherever it is you're facing. But here's the thing. You've got to hit the pause button. Because worship isn't singing songs. It isn't just singing the next, you know, I like this song, it gets me going. That is not worship. Worship is an intimate experience between you and God that God has touched your heart with his incredible love that there is something inside you just wants to give him all of the thanks and the praise and the adoration because you know that without his love, without his grace, without his mercy, you wouldn't be able to stand where you stand today. And there's something of a heart that does that. God sees that. Trust me, he sees that. A heart that worships in spirit and in truth, and he is drawn to it. But this, it's the approach. You see, they, they both had a hit pause, but how are they going to approach Jesus? 
And I wonder, when you come to church, do you come out of need or do you come to worship? Do you come because you need God to do something? Listen, if God never did a single thing in my life again, I would still turn up to worship Him every day of my life. He don't need to do any more for me. The fact that he died on the cross and he paid the price for my sin, that is enough for me. Hallelujah. And I think that it would be wrong for us to continue doing what we've always done and getting what we've always gotten and, and traveling at this pace of life and without hitting pause just to take some time just to worship him. Just to worship him, not because we need anything, but because we love him, because he loves us. I finish with this. Time is gone. A few years ago, I was, I was flying into Dallas, Fort Worth to preach at some churches over there. And we were coming into the, into the runway and it was quite choppy. The weather was pretty bad and the plane was moving all over the place and and I thought, this is going to be a rough landing. And then the captain came on the intercom and said, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, uh, due to the conditions, we're not able to land. So we're going to have to pull up. We're going to have to circle and turn around and then re-approach. For the first time in my life, I was really glad that I was delayed on a flight. I thought, I don't want to rush this. I I'm glad that it's, you know, the captain has seen sense. It's too dangerous to land this thing. He's going to pull up, turn around and re-approach. And it got me thinking about this message, about you and me. There are times in our lives when all we can do is, when the approach is wrong, we need to pull up. We need to pull up, we need to turn around, and we need to re-approach. Uh, Jesus, I've always come to you like this, I've always, it's always need-based, but you know what? I'm going to pull up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in all that stuff anymore. That some of the things I've been listening to and some of the things I've been watching and doing and saying to people, I've been, I, I need to pull out of this. I need to get out of this because I ain't seen any breakthrough in my life. I ain't seen any power. I ain't seen God do anything. Why? Because you, you need to pull up. When you pull up, then you need to turn around. Once you've pulled up and turned around, then you need to re-approach. Re-approach. And I, I am glad to report that we landed safely. I wouldn't be here, would I? <laughs> but obvious. We... We reapproached, and that is true in all of our lives. We need to hit the pause button. Take some time to think, hang on, why am I really a Christian? Why am I a Christian? And I'll tell you what it'll do as well. You'll find peace will come back into your heart as well. The things that used to worry you won't worry you anymore. You'll be totally chilled. It will. It does that. It has that effect. But if you keep going and you keep burning the candle at both ends, you're going you're gonna to hit burnout, man. And it ain't good. It ain't a good place to be. Because you're weak. The enemy will come in and attack you. Your flesh is weak. You don't want to be there. You need to be standing in trust in Jesus to the point where his peace rules and reigns in your heart. And the only way to do that is to hit the pause button. Stop. Stop. Pull up. Turn around and reapproach, and come to Jesus. When you come to him this time, you see, it ain't all need-based. You're just coming to worship him. And life is so much richer, so much sweeter when we do that. Less complicated, because we have overcomplicated our Christian faith. With all the stuff that goes, 
Stop, stop. And I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will set you free just by hitting the pause button. Uh, if you ask me for a pause button scripture, I ain't got one. But it's in there. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And if there's one thing the devil wants to do in these end times is to make you tired, is to make you weak, is to wear you out, to your negative stuff, to bring doubts into your mind, to disqualify you, to make you think you haven't got a future. That's the work of the devil. You've just got to hit pause and go, hang on a minute. I get all that. That's all against me. Let me just press pause a minute and let me just step back before I pull up. And let me just get my head together. Have you ever used that expression? Let me get my head together. Yeah. Get my head together. And as you begin to bring your thoughts into the line with the scripture, you realize, hang on. The reason why I'm a Christian is because of Jesus dying on the cross for me. Why? Because he loved me that much. Stop right there for a moment. He loved me that much. Okay, let me just take that in a bit, Lord. And you start to do that. Already you're making progress. Believe me, you, you are. And what will happen is the more you, 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 you take time to do that, you'll begin to pull up out of the stuff that you're in. And God will begin to turn things around. I said God will be able to turn things around. And then as you reapproach Jesus, you, you, you're not coming like you used to come. You're, you're not approaching him like you used to approach. Now you're approaching him with worship. You're coming to worship every chance you get. Man, I'm going to worship him. I don't care what she thinks, she thinks, they think. I don't care if I'm loud. I don't care if I'm out of tune. I don't care how loud I bang this tambourine. I'm just going to sing some stuff. I'm going to get my worship off. I'm going to get my praise on. I don't care what they think about me because I know what he has done for me. Come on, somebody say amen. And that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly where I'm at. So you may say, preacher, you know, you, I, I'm where you're at. I'm there, man. I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I mean, I'm preaching lords this year. And, you know, I don't need a pulpit to feel secure in God. I'm all right, like. You know what I'm saying? I do this because I want to serve. I want to give. I want to help. I want to encourage. I want to inspire. I want people to understand that. You know, we, we know what it's like. We, we go through this together. But somehow God is able to raise us up. He's able to uphold us, keep us, cause his face to shine upon us by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But you've got to hit the pause button. And you've got to take some time. Take some time. Because I know after a year out with my family and kids hitting the pause button, when I say public ministry, I'm not complete because I don't get salaried by the ministry, but out of the ministry, I know it will happen. 2016, I'm going to come back with a fresh anointing. I'm going to come back with fresh revelation. I'm going to come back more anointed than I've ever been. Because why? Because, because I've hit the pause button. And I'm just going to spend some time with Jesus. And I know it can be said, yeah, but you spend time with Jesus while you're serving him. I get that. But let me tell you, the reality as a minister of the gospel for the last many years is, it ain't quite like that sometimes, actually. It's not like that. It's not. It's not. Yeah, he's with me. He walks me. He talks me. He ministers to me. But let me tell you this. If you don't hit the pause button at some time or other in your life, you are going to have an explosion that is going to end up very, very ugly. Very ugly. Not just leaders here this morning. Christians. I'm telling you now. Now, you don't have to take a year out. You don't have to do all those things. But I'm just giving you something to consider this morning. And you need to ask yourself this question. Am I burnt out? Am I, do I really need to hit the pause button and go back to what it's really all about? Why am I a Christian? You absolutely do. You see all the stuff you're doing tonight? 
Bruce, the series you're on at the moment on offence, you know why you get offended so easily? It's because you've not hit the pause button. Because if you hit the pause button, it's like this. Jesus says, those who are in me will never be offended. You're never offended when you walk in Jesus. You're offended when you're not. Because you're 100 miles an hour. Got to get this. Got to do this. Gotta, we've got to be there. We've got to, what about this? We've got to pay this. We've got to do this. And life will do all of that. But you've just got to hit the pause button. Say, okay, stop. I just want to... I just want to be with Jesus right now. I don't want anything else. Just me and Jesus. And that's it. Amen? Amen. Like I want us all stand. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Have you received the word of God today? Let's all stand on our hands. No, I didn't plan on sharing any of that with you this morning. Bruce knows this because... Um, I was uh, a message I preached this morning on the midnight cry, but I've given you some very personal details about myself this morning, this afternoon, which I don't, I don't normally try and do. Um, but I've done it because I want to try and help people here. That's why. And if if God wills that He has helped three or four people here this morning, then my my job is, my my task has been fulfilled. And I know that many of you will identify with some of the things I've said. I, I just want you to do that for a moment, to consider, is it time for you to hit the pause button? Maybe on your ministry, maybe on your career, just, just hit the pause button. And get back to, because we lose sometimes why we're Christians, because we, it's all about the ministry. It's not all about the ministry. It ain't all about, it's about your relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing of all. That's what matters more than anything. I want to pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for your precious people this morning. And you know each and every one that is here today, even those that may not know you as their God and Savior. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would begin to work in their lives. And there are many here today, Lord, that may identify with what I've said. Lord, I pray you'd help them to hit the pause button. And as they do, Lord, when the time is right, to pull up, to turn around, and to reapproach. Holy Spirit, will you take this word and would you work it in the hearts of your people this morning? I ask you to watch over your word to perform it. That Lord, whatever you need to do today in the hearts of your people, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it shall be according to your word. Amen.